we're going to do things a little bit differently this morning um, in that, uh, yes, I am going to teach a Bible lesson this morning, but uh, I am going to, we've been doing a series on the Holy Ghost, and I can't teach on the Holy Ghost without spending some time teaching about speaking in tongues. And uh, as I think most all of you are aware, some years ago I felt like the Lord gave me a Bible study on the subject of speaking in tongues. And when I say a Bible study, I mean something that I could put into the hands of the saints that you could teach to others who are interested and uh, I just really felt as, as we got closer to today, um, I felt like it would be good if I took some time and took you through that study again. Uh, according to my records, it's been about nine years or longer since we have gone through this, but I don't want to just go through it today. I don't want to just teach it here. I want to actually teach you how to teach it. I didn't get enough response out of that. I want, I want you all to be able to teach this Bible study. I believe there are people out there who want to know about this subject, and I want you equipped to teach others. Well, hallelujah. Are we here this morning? All right. I want you to be equipped to teach others. And so what we're actually going to do is I'm going to ask uh, Brother Jerome, Brother Andrew to distribute copies of this Bible study to you. And we're going to do it as though I was in somebody's living room teaching this Bible study to them. And uh, we're just, we're going to go through it that way. Now, if you've ever taught the little Bible study into his marvelous light, this was written as a follow-up to that Bible study. Uh, it may be that it's, it was my lack of proficiency, I don't know, but I found many times when I would teach Into His Marvelous Light, at the end of that study, there's a series of questions that you ask uh, the person you're teaching. And one of the questions uh, is something to the effect of, do you believe that the Holy Ghost is for you today and when you receive it, you will speak with other tongues? And many times I've had folks look at me and say, well, yes, I believe it's for us, but I've, I've got some questions about speaking in tongues. And so in, in having that response and then praying about how to deal with it, I felt like the Lord gave me this Bible study to, to come along then and teach as a follow-up into his marvelous light. And uh, it's, it's a great way to, uh, when, when that question comes up, especially say, hey, let me come back next week and I'll, I'll teach this. And uh, I'll tell you, if I can do it the way it's supposed to be done this morning, it means it's going to be one of our shortest Sunday morning lessons because I'm supposed to have it done within an hour. And uh, I'm not making promises, but I'm just saying uh, that's, that's the goal. I don't often 
meet my goals, but that's my goal. Praise God. Hallelujah. Uh, I was glad to hear Elder Morton say he had preached three hours and ten minutes. Is that what he said? Three hours and ten minutes? Uh, we weren't supposed to tell that part of it. Um, yeah, he did say he'd only done it once. Now, I don't think I've ever... I don't think I've ever gone that long in one lesson. Brother Stevens will tell you that I have. But uh, but I've been in the pulpit that long in Africa, but I don't think I've ever taught that long uh, or preached that long. But anyhow, um, we're going to get through this this morning. I'm going to take you through it again as though um, you don't know any of this information, and I'm going to just teach it to you as I would, uh, they have distributed to you copies of this study. Uh, if you're looking at the study, you see there are little blanks to fill out. I, I do ask you, please don't try to read ahead and figure out where we're going. Just stay with me, and uh, we'll, we'll cover every blank in that book and give you answers to all of them. If you miss some of them, well, you, you can ask me afterwards, and we'll get them all filled out. So you've got a copy. This becomes your teacher's copy. And we are working on, Sister Jasmine's actually working on a new design for the cover. Now that cover, if you look at the cover of that book, um, that picture that is on the cover, somebody actually gave to me that um, it was the father of that young boy that's, that's praying there. Uh, his father gave me that picture and gave me permission to use it. Uh, they took that picture and uh, it was not photoshopped. There was, there was nothing done to it. Um, it's just the way that the exposure came out. But if you look, it, it almost appears that there's a little flame of fire over the boy's head. And uh, that's exactly the way the picture looked when they developed it. And I said, you know, that would be ideal for the cover of my Bible study. And so the father gave me permission to use that picture uh, on my Bible study. So that's, that's what you've got there, somebody receiving the Holy Ghost and uh, what, what appears to be cloven tongues like as a fire sitting on his head. And uh, so we're going to, as I said, we're going to go through this and I'm just going to try to take you through it this morning. Uh, be ready if you miss a blank and, and you'll see as I teach it. Again, I'm trying to teach you how to teach it. You want to always make sure that that the students understand what you're saying and that they get the blanks filled in because then they can go back after you're gone and study it again, read it again, uh, just reaffirm the truths that are in this little booklet. Praise God. Amen. Amen. And so because we're doing it this way, there's no real text of Scripture that I'm going to take this morning. Um, I think I may have listed one on the... Uh, sheet that I gave Brother Josh, but we're not going to do it that way. I'm going to, I'm just going to teach it as I would um, in someone's home today, and uh, I I pray that uh, you'll receive some information that maybe you haven't had, some enlightenment. And uh, if you don't learn anything new out of this study, somebody listening to this recording or going through this study sometime in the future will. And I've seen God use this study to open eyes and people get a revelation of truth through it. And I'm thankful for that. Praise God. 
And so, God bless you this morning, and we are going to, I know it's different, and I don't know if you're going to know how to react if I don't read a text and pray and have you be seated, but that's not the way we do a Bible study. So we're doing a Bible study, so you can be seated. Um, if you would open your study guide to the first page, uh, the subject of speaking in tongues is just like any other doctrinal study. Uh, of course, there are many, many churches that teach many different things. Anytime that you start dealing with people and trying to tell them uh, what the Bible says, the question invariably comes up, how do I know which church is teaching what's right? Um, you know, I, I like to say that, that differing views cannot contradict each other and both be right. If, if you believe one thing and I believe something totally different, we cannot both be right. And we can both be wrong. But we can't both be right. Amen. And so the key to being able to tell the difference between truth and error has to be found in the word of God. We can't just objectively say, I'm right, you're wrong. We have to have some source that establishes truth for us, and that source is the word of God. John chapter 17 and verse 17, Now, this is the only thing that's going to be different about it, so I do have a reader who's going to read these verses for me as we get to them, uh, but... But uh, let's, let's, John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus said this. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. And so there you have it. There is the definitive answer. How do I know what is right? This is how. God's word is truth. Not my opinion, your opinion. Not what some other preacher said. Unfortunately, not even what grandma said. And you'd be surprised how many people base all of their beliefs on grandma. Well, my grandma was a praying woman, and this is what she told me, and I, I understand all that. And I'm not trying to, to speak disparagingly of your grandma. Um, I'm just telling you, grandma's not the source of truth. As good a woman as grandma may have been, there's a good possibility Grandma may have been wrong on some things. So what we do know is the Bible is never wrong. Jesus said that God's word is truth. The apostle Paul gave us instructions in Romans chapter 3 verse 4. God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. Let God be true, but every man a liar. Do you understand the significance of this statement? When the Apostle Paul says, let God be true, but every man a liar, he's saying it doesn't matter if it's every individual on the face of the earth. That's all saying the exact same thing. If they're saying something different than what God said, let God be true. 
God doesn't work by majority vote. God doesn't try to to determine how many believe what and whoever uh, has got the most votes, well, then that's the truth. But what God's word says is truth regardless of whether or not anybody believes it. It's still true. Amen. The Bible is the only unbiased source of absolute truth. And therefore, all of our beliefs, all of our doctrines have to be founded upon the scriptures. Now, another important fact for our consideration is the difference in interpretation. It's often noted that two people can read the very same scripture and yet come to very different conclusions. Uh, And while this may be true, It's not the way God wants it to be. I I remember uh, one time being in a restaurant with a preacher and the waitress, uh, we were trying to talk to her, invite her to church and and, um, the preacher had quoted some scripture and she made a comment. She said, well, you know, that's the way you interpret it. I interpret it differently. We, We all have our own different interpretations for these scriptures. Well, that's not the way God intends for it to be. In fact, the Bible's very clear that that's not the way it's supposed to be. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 20 says this. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. There is no private interpretation. Do you understand that? So in other words, it's not about how I interpret it or how you interpret it. Our obligation is to find out how God intends for it to be interpreted. Now, you know, I've told you I may very well, in fact, we may do this next week, uh, I'll I'll be praying about it, but but I, I may very well teach a lesson on Bible interpretation. I think that's important. It's, it's, it's necessary. It's essential. We've got to know how to rightly divide the word of truth. I want you to understand God has one interpretation for every scripture in that book. And our obligation is to find out what God's interpretation is, not try to make the Bible back up our ideas. I don't know if I've shared this with you or not, but I was reading a book um, during my last trip to Africa. I, I had started on a book Actually, one of the pastors over there gave it to me and asked me to check it out. Uh, He had been given several copies of it, and he wanted to share it with the other pastors during our leadership seminar. And uh, I said, well, let me me read it. Let me see. You know, you you just, you never know. (laughs) And so I started reading it, and there were some very good things in the book. There were some things I didn't care for too much, some things where I think the man, though he had good intentions, um, didn't quite approach it from the right perspective. But anyhow, he made a statement in that book that I, it's so simple and yet so profound. But he said, he said, too many people use the Bible the way a drunkard uses a lamp post. It's more for support than it is illumination. He's holding on to that lamppost just trying to stay upright. (laughs) 
And, and even though it's giving light, he's not using the light it's providing. He's just trying to support himself. And there are too many people that that's the way they use the Bible. They're not letting the Bible put light into their lives and show them the way to go. They're just trying to find a scripture that'll back up what they already believe. And so the Bible becomes their support rather than their illumination. Hallelujah. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be guilty of that. And it's easy to do it. We believe something. We find some scripture that seems to say that. And that becomes our proof. Instead, we need to let the word of God truly be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We need to let the word of God show us the right way to go. Even if that means we don't have any support for what we believe. We need to change our beliefs at that point. Here's what we know. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All scripture. Everyone say all scripture. All scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, the, the literal Greek on this is that it is all God-breathed. Every word in this book was breathed from the mouth of God. And so we can't just take a verse and say, well, I don't like that one, so I'm going to ignore it. You know, I like to say the Bible is not like a buffet. You know what happens at a buffet. You go through the line, find what you like, take lots of that. What you don't like, you just leave it there. And that's the way some people treat the Bible. I'll, I'll find the scriptures that I like, and I'll take lots of that. The ones I don't care for, I'm going to leave it where it is. In fact, there are some people that I really believe that the, 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 their, their entire Bible is found in one verse. Judge not that you be not judged. There's nothing else in the Bible except that one. And as soon as you tell them anything, they're going to quote that to you. They don't even know what it means. It sounds good. They think that means don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me how to live. Don't tell me how to be saved. Because you're judging me. When, if I read the scripture to you, I'm not judging you. I'm reading the sentence written by the judge. I'm not the judge. He is. And if he's issued a sentence, I can't change the sentence. But I'm not the one judging you. All right, all scripture is given by inspiration. All of it was breathed by God. Everything in that book is absolutely right. 100% correct. Everything in the Bible. All right? So, as we get into this study, and this is why I said I didn't think I'd quite get it done in an hour. Um, the preacher in me just comes out too often, but I'm trying. As we enter into this study, um, let us know and understand that God is sovereign. He is not required to answer to any man. Whatever he chooses to do, however he chooses to do it, it's not for us to question. 
He is not obligated to limit his expectations for us to our human understanding. Now, I hope you comprehend everything I just said. Because I've had people say, well, I just don't understand that. Well, and I'm not trying to be rude, but the fact is, it doesn't matter whether we understand it or not. If God said it, it's still right. Whether or not we understand it is irrelevant. Well, why would God do that? Well, I can't always tell you why God would do that. Because he's a whole lot smarter than I am. And I can't figure him out. And neither can you. And furthermore, God doesn't owe us an explanation. Now, it's important for us to remember that because as I get into this study and I talk about speaking in tongues, just understand, I'm just giving you the best that I can give you from the scripture. But but know this, whatever God said we have to do, he doesn't have to tell us why. If he said do it, we just have to do it. Praise God. Uh, we are obligated to do what John 5.39 tells us to do. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. Search the scriptures. Search the scriptures. Search the scriptures. This is, this is why folks get things wrong. They don't take the time to search. They find judge not that you be not judged, and they think that's all there is to it. They don't realize that if you turn over a few pages, you find out where the Bible says the spiritual judgeth all things. Did you know that was in the Bible? A lot of folks don't, but it is. It's there. Evidently not very many of you knew that, but it's there. Search the scriptures, you'll find it. I'll give you a hint. Paul's the one that wrote it, but I'll let you find it, all right? I'll give you better than that. Uh, he wrote it to the Corinthians. Now I'll let you. I mean, there's only two letters there that's addressed to the Corinthians, so you've got a few chapters to read, and you'll find it somewhere in there, all right? I'm not going to give you any more than that. I could, but I'm not. All right, so search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. We need to be searching the scriptures because this is the testimony of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That's the testimony of Jesus Christ. And we should search the scriptures until we come to a proper understanding of his will for us. Furthermore, let us undertake this study with a realization that God's word is what's going to judge us in the last day. John chapter 12 verse 48 he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. Now here's who's going to judge us. The word that the I have word spoken. The word that I have spoken. The same shall judge That's him in the last day. That's what's going to judge us in the last day. Whatever God said, right. that is our judgment. That's right. True. That's right. Listen to me. You don't have to wonder what's going to happen when I get to judgment. He already told us. You know, I mean, this is unlike any other court case you've ever known because the sentence is already declared before the trial's ever held. The judge has made it clear. If you do this, this is what happens. If you do this, this is what happens. It's already written for us. It's all right there in the book. 
And in fact, uh, this is not in your booklet, but we see this actually taking place in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 and 12. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, for, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. Yeah, you might want to write this down on that page there. I don't know if you want to just make notes of this Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 and 12. You, somebody may ask you about the word judging us, and, and that's what I'm reading to you now, all right? Because this is, this is judgment day that we're reading right here. All right, verse 12. And I saw the dead, I small saw the dead, and great, small and great, standing before stand God. before God. And the books were and opened. The, wait a minute. And the books. The what? The books. Books. That's plural. There's an S on the end. The books were opened. And another book and was opened. And another open. book, singular, was opened. Which is the, which book, is of the life. book of life. Now, so many people only think judgment is all about when I get before God, it's going to open the book of life. As long as my name's in the book of life, that's it. That's all there is to it. That's not what this says. This says the book of life is going to be open. They are going to look for your name in the book of life. God is going to look for your name in the book of life. But that's not all that's going to be open. Because besides that one book, which is the book of life, the books, plural, were opened. And then he says, and the dead were judged how? Out of those things. Out of those things which were written in the book. In the books. According to their works. According to their works. Here's what he said. The book of life will be open. But he's also going to open some books and he's going to compare your works to what's in the books. Now, what books will he use to compare with your works? 66 books that we call the Bible. What's going to happen, according to Jesus, he said, my word is what's going to judge you in the last day. And so what's going to happen is not only is he going to open the Lamb's book of life, but he's going to open these books. And he's going to see if you did the things written in these books. Well, hallelujah. So we have an obligation to find out what's written right here and to follow that. All right. Now that's been a long introduction, much longer than you need to take. But anyhow... Let's get into the study. You should be on the page where at the top it says speaking in tongues defined. That's what this Bible study is all about. It's the subject of speaking in tongues. In fact, uh, in case you didn't notice, the name of this study is Do All Speak With Tongues? And it's taken from a verse in 1 Corinthians. We'll get to that verse a little later on. But we're going to start right here. When we talk about speaking in tongues, what are we talking about? What are we discussing? What do we even mean when we say speaking in tongues? Let's let the Bible answer that question. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, please pay attention as we read these verses. And I'd like for you, if you would, to follow along in your Bible. Uh, if, if, if you could do that, open your Bibles and follow along to these, these passages. But I also want you to notice there are blanks now that I want you to fill in. As we get to it, we'll stress what needs to go in the blank as the verse is read. So let's start Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, 
They were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and, there, and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and, dwellers in Mes- and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and in Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia in Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? All right, now, you'll notice in verse 12, they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth, I'm sorry, in, in verse 11, Cretes Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So let's look at the study guide. The first recorded incident of people speaking in tongues took place on the day of Pentecost, which was 50 days after the Jewish Passover, at which time Jesus had been crucified. When this occurred, the Bible says that these amazed onlookers were coming, they they came from 16 different nations, but they cried, we do hear them speak in our tongues. In our tongues. That's, That's in verse 11. In our tongues. And those are the two blanks that are right there. Our tongues the wonderful works of God. So what was obviously occurring here was that those who had just been filled with the Holy Ghost were speaking in known languages. They had not been taught these languages. They didn't speak them by their own ability or their own knowledge. But look again at verse 4 where the Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And that is this this blank here. The Spirit gave them utterance. The word utterance means the ability to speak. So here's what I'm telling you. These people were not just repeating sounds that someone taught them to say. There was nobody standing around saying, repeat after me. But the Spirit gave them the ability to speak. And they weren't just speaking gibberish. They weren't just speaking a lot of nonsense. They were speaking actual languages. Just languages they didn't know. But the people around knew. 16 different countries that were represented there. And somebody in that crowd that had received the Holy Ghost, there were people in that crowd speaking each of those 16 different languages. All right, so, so when we talk about speaking in tongues, understand that the word tongues is an old English word that really just means languages, right? I mean, we still use that somewhat today. We talk about people out of every nation and tongue, right? It, it's, it's a word for language, 
And so that's what's happening when someone's speaking in tongues. They're speaking in a language that they don't know, but the Spirit gives them the ability to do it. It's a miraculous occurrence, all right? Let's go over to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. There's something here I want to show you about speaking in tongues. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. All right, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. So those are the two blanks in your study guide. Now, men, angels. So here's my point. In Acts 2, they were speaking in the tongues of men. Right? They were speaking in languages known on the earth. But Paul mentioned that it's possible for someone to be speaking in the tongue of an angel. See, I've I've actually heard of scientists going into Pentecostal churches and recording people speaking in tongues and running it through their database and saying, there's no language on earth like this. These people are making this up. Well, I would say it doesn't matter if there's a language on earth like this. Because Paul said, it may not be the language of men. It may be the language of angels. And I can promise you the language of angels is not in their database. So, so there's the language of men. There's the language of angels. There's also what may be a third category. If you, if you look right in the next chapter, 1 Corinthians 14, verses 2 through 4. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 2 through 4. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. Uh-huh. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. All right, so, so here there is what may be even a third category. Paul had mentioned the tongues of men, the tongues of angels, and now he talks about an unknown tongue. So it's very possible that there is even a third category that may not be men or angels, but just a language God just creates. All right? And so, so, now, it may also just be another way of describing the tongues of angels. We, we don't know. But, but the thing is, my point is, it should be evident that tongues do not have to be a language that can be understood on earth in order to be genuine. The one thing that we know about genuine tongues is that whoever is speaking in tongues does not know the language they're speaking. All right? Now, I'm not fluent in Spanish. I wish I was. I'm not. I know a little bit. Um, but, but I'm going to tell you, if the Holy Ghost moved on me, it wouldn't move on me to speak in Spanish. Because I know enough of that language already uh, that it really wouldn't be I mean, unless he really just anointed me to preach a sermon in it, then it, I guess that could be miraculous. But, but my point is this, if it's tongues, it's not a language you know. Now, I, I, I have heard stories of 
missionaries going into places and people receiving the Holy Ghost speaking in English. And the people receiving the Holy Ghost did not know English at all. I believe that's possible. I believe that's, that actually lines up to Acts chapter 2. All right? So, so my point is this. When we talk about speaking in tongues, we're talking about speaking in a language. The important thing is the speaker does not know that language. It is a miraculous occurrence as God gives utterance or gives ability to speak. All right? Let's go to the next page of the study guide. I hope that we've defined speaking in tongues sufficiently that everyone understands what it is. Let's now, let's now look at the fact this is not just something that all of a sudden happened without any forewarning. I'm going to tell you, it was prophesied in the Old Testament. In fact, you know that I've, I've said many, many times anything we preach as a New Testament doctrine has got to have roots in the Old Testament. Because the apostles didn't have a New Testament to preach from. So everything they preached, they had to be able to pull from the Old Testament to do it. Even speaking in tongues was prophesied in the Old Testament. Let me show you uh, a couple of verses here where I believe speaking in tongues is addressed. Um, Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah 59 verses twenty. And 21. Isaiah 59, verses 20 and 21. And the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from, the, from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith this the This is Lord. my covenant with them. My spirit that is upon Lord. thee. My spirit that's upon thee. And my words which I have put in thy mouth. And my words which I have put in thy mouth. Shall not depart out of thy mouth. Uh-huh. Nor out of the mouth of thy seed, uh-huh. nor out of the mouth of thy seed's seed, saith the Lord, from henceforth and forevermore, forever. And, and so, looking at your study guide, the Redeemer seems to be making a connection between his spirit that's going to come upon us and his words which he will put in our mouth. Brother Charles made such a tremendous point uh, at the conference this past week. Um, he, he was saying, he was sitting in his office and he said, the Lord asked him a question. And uh, he, he, he clarified, he said, I, I've found out when God asks me a question, it's not because God doesn't know the answer. But he said, God asked me a question. He said, I was just sitting there and this, this, I felt like the spirit prompted me with this question. And, the, and, and Brother Charles uh, pastors in Garden City, Kansas, and the overwhelming majority of his church is Hispanic. Um, but he said, the question just came to me, why do people in Mexico speak Spanish? And he said, I had to think about that and go back and do some research. And, and without going through everything that he said, it boils down to this. It's because the Spaniards conquered that land. 
and whoever conquers instills their language into the ones they rule. So in Mexico, they speak Spanish. Why do we speak English? It's because of who came to this country and conquered. And they instilled their language. People are shocked when when I tell them that I go to Africa and most of the people that I deal with speak English. They're shocked. Why? Why is English so prevalent in Africa? Because Great Britain went in and they instilled their language in the people they conquered. Right? I'm telling you, this is what happens. And if God is our king, what do you think he's going to do? When our flesh has been conquered, what do you think God's going to do? He's going to instill his language in us. Amen. He made a connection between his spirit coming on us and his words being put in our mouth. Let's look at another one. Isaiah 28, verses 11 and 12. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to, his, to this people, to whom he said, This is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. All right, now let me just make sure you did get those two blanks in, in the first one on this page. It's words and mouth. Make sure you got that. Then the next one, Isaiah 28, 11, and 12, we find stammering lips and another tongue are said to be the rest that God will give to the weary, right? Let's, let's read it again, verses 11 and 12. Read verse 11 for me. For with stammering lips, with stammering lips and, another, and tongue, another tongue will he speak, will to, he his speak people, to this people to whom, he said, to whom he said, this is the rest. This. Now wait a minute. To whom he said, this is the rest. What is the rest? What's the rest? Stammering lips and another tongue. That's what he's just addressed. Stammering lips and another tongue. This is the rest. Wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. Isn't that what he said? So another tongue is the rest that he brings to the weary. Now. This is Isaiah 28, 11. We're going now to the New Testament to see where speaking in tongues is, we can say prophesied or foretold. In the New Testament, we go from Isaiah 28, 11 to Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Come right? Jesus said this. Come unto me, come unto me, all ye that labor, all ye that labor, and are heavy, and laden, are heavy laden, and I will give and you rest. I will give you rest. I'm going to give you rest. Now, listen. If anybody knew the Old Testament, Jesus did. And you think Jesus didn't have in mind what Isaiah had already said when Isaiah said, "This is the rest." Wherewith you cause the weary to rest. And Jesus comes along and said, if you're weary, I'm going to give you rest. Praise God. Well, Isaiah said that rest is speaking in tongues. 
I'm telling you, when you come to Jesus, that's exactly what happens. You get that rest, Isaiah prophesied. Let's look at Mark chapter 16, verses 16 and 17. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Huh? And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. Devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall speak with new tongues. Amen. And so that's the two blanks here. New tongues. Amen. Jesus tells us two important things about believing. You'll notice in verse 16, he said, you got to believe and be baptized. But then he also says, when you believe, you should speak with new tongues. Tongues. That's the two blanks here. New tongues. All right, let's go to the book of John. John chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. John chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, I, I would stop you right there just strictly to go and tie this into what we just read with, with Mark. Mark said, He that believeth and is baptized. John 3 and 5 says, You want to enter the kingdom of God, you've got to be born of water and born of the Spirit. All right, so now we're talking about this new birth. All right, read on. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, mm -hmm. and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Right. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. All right, now, now pay attention to verse 8. The wind bloweth where it The listeth. wind blows where it wants to. And thou hearest the sound thereof. And you hear the sound thereof. But canst not tell but whence it cometh. you don't know where it comes from. And whither it goes. And you don't know where it goes to. So is everyone so that is, is born of the Spirit. So is. So is. Everyone. That's born of the Spirit. No exceptions. Do you see that? You see that Jesus said everyone that's born of the Spirit. Now, if Jesus said everyone, that doesn't mean most. If Jesus said everyone, that doesn't mean many. Doesn't mean some. Sure doesn't mean a few. If he said everyone, guess what that means? It means everyone. So is everyone that's born of the Spirit. Now let's look at this verse because he says something in verse 8 that applies to everybody that receives the Spirit. Well, what does he say? He said there's a connection between the wind and being born of the Spirit. So look at the things he says about the wind. He said, well, it blows where it wants to. Okay, that doesn't really tell us anything. He said, um, you don't know where it's coming from. That doesn't really tell us anything. Don't know where it's going to. That doesn't really identify much for us. But there is one statement in this verse that's very definite. And that is, you hear the sound thereof. A lot of things about the wind we do not know and do not understand. 
But one thing is absolutely certain. When the wind blows, you hear it. You hear the sound of it blowing. And Jesus said, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Now, you might be surprised to know that this word sound, thou hearest the sound thereof. The Greek word is phone. Not phony, but phone. And it is the word from which we get our English word, telephone. Or phonograph. All right? Phone. It, it, what, what is a telephone? It's something that transmits a voice. It transmits the language being spoken. What, what is a phonograph? It is a recording of a voice, of a language, right? That Greek word, phone, is in the word telephone, phonograph, many other words that we use, because the Greek word means a language. And this is what Jesus said. A lot of things about the wind you don't know. You don't know where it comes from and you don't know where it goes. But one thing's certain. You'll always hear the wind's language. The wind has a language. And he said, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. There's a lot of things about being born of the Spirit. And I was first born of the Spirit. It's been more than 40 years ago. And I'm going to tell you, there's a lot about it I still don't understand, Brother Hilton. A lot of things about what God has done through that process that I won't be able to explain until I get to the other side. But one thing is certain. When that birth took place, there was a language. There was a sound. I've said this many times, you know, with the birth of my children, my grandchildren, I was always as close as I could possibly be. It was always great to hear the, the nurses, the, the attending physician, you know, to, to, to say, oh, what a perfect child. And, and, and they mean, you know, it's got, it's got the, the ten fingers and ten toes and two eyes and two ears and, and you know, all that's great. And that, that's wonderful. I'm glad to hear that. I want it to be that way. But none of that mattered. Until I heard something. I wanted to hear a sound. Because the sound. Was the evidence of life. Hallelujah. Because that baby could be born. With two eyes, two ears, ten fingers, ten toes. And not be alive. But when I heard the sound, I knew this was a live birth. And Jesus said, everybody that's born of the Spirit, there will always be evidence this is a live birth. 
And the evidence is going to be the language that comes. All right, Romans 8, chapter 16, chapter 8, verse 16, the Apostle Paul made this statement. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit. Now, now I want you to think about what this, this again, in the original, this means the Spirit testifies. And, and the idea and the concept here is much like being called to the witness stand during a trial. When you're sworn in and you take the stand, what do you do? You testify of what you know about the situation. You bear witness of what took place. And Paul said this, whenever the Spirit shows up, the Spirit's going to take the stand. And the Spirit is going to offer testimony that this is a child of God. Oh, hallelujah. The Spirit is going to give its witness. The Spirit is going to speak from the stand and say, this is the child of God. And every time somebody's born of the Spirit, you can look for the Holy Ghost to start testifying. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. All right. Trying to move on here. Uh, speaking in tongues fulfilled. in the, And I don't know if I've stopped to make sure you got all the blanks filled in, but I think they're self-explanatory. Uh, starting at the top of that page, hear the sound, the three there at the top of the page. And then under that, under Romans 8 and 16, bears witness, bears witness. Now, let's... Let's go to the next section, speaking in tongues fulfilled in the New Testament. Going back to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. We read it earlier. Let's read it again. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And huh? suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. Uh-huh. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to speak with other began tongues. began to... Speak with with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so here is the sound. Here is the witness. Just as Jesus and Paul said there would be when these 120 received the Holy Ghost, they began to speak with tongues. Those are the three blanks there. Speak with tongues. As the Spirit gave them that ability. Now, Peter, later on, as he's preaching, we, we, we read where the crowd's standing there amazed. They don't understand what's going on. Uh, in fact, um, uh, if we had kept reading, you'd see where some of them said, well, these people must be drunk. Um, and, and they didn't understand it all. So Peter gets up and begins to preach to them about what has just taken place. And I want you to notice what he said about this experience. In, we're still in Acts chapter 2, verse 33. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost. The promise of the Holy Ghost. He hath shed for this. He hath this, shed for this. Which, he now which see, you now see. See and hear. And 
hear. This is what Peter said. He said, the promise of the Holy Ghost is something you can both see and hear. People say, well, you know, I know I've received the Spirit because it happened in my heart. And No, no, no. Peter said you can see it when it happens and you can hear it. It's not just something that's internal. There's going to be an external witness that comes. You can see and hear. That's the two blanks here uh, under Acts 2.33. All right, then let's go on to the conclusion of Peter's message. Verses 37 through 39. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. All right, so in response to the question, what must we do or what shall we do? Peter explained that a person must repent. They must be baptized or born of water, as Jesus said in John 3, 5. You must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and you must receive the Holy Ghost. And, and as we have already seen, the Holy Ghost was an experience that could be heard. And what was heard originally was speaking in tongues. Are you following me? Peter said, when you receive the Holy Ghost, it can be seen and heard. And now he says, you want to be saved? You've got to receive the Holy Ghost. When you receive the Holy Ghost, it's going to be something that can be heard. And then he says in verse 39, this promise is to you. It's to your children. It's to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And so there you have the three blanks there. The promise, this same promise is for all that are afar off even as many as God shall call. I hope you understand what I'm telling you. People say, well, that, that's not for me. Speaking in tongues is not for me. No, Peter said it's for everybody, even those that are afar off, whoever God calls, the same promise is yours. The promise that you will receive an experience that can be seen and heard. Well, praise God. Amen. Uh, Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 18. Um, here is the story of the Samaritans being saved. I've got I've to hurry up here, but Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 18. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as, he, for as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that... Now, 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 hang on, hang on. I don't want to go through this too fast. In verse 17, verse 17, they laid their hands on them, they received the Holy Ghost. And I've had people say, well, they didn't speak in tongues there. Really? What did verse 18 say? And when Simon saw... When Simon did what? Saw. If receiving the Holy Ghost is just something that happens on the inside of somebody... How did Simon see that they'd received the Holy Ghost? Earlier in the chapter, it had already said they had great joy. It already said they had believed. 
It, it, it had said that demons were being cast out. Miracles were taking place. A lot of those things had already happened earlier in the chapter. But they didn't have the Holy Ghost. But now, Peter and John laid, his hand, laid their hands on them, and Simon saw right. that something took place. That was more than just them having joy and seeing miracles. Well, hallelujah. He saw, and that's the blank here. Simon the sorcerer saw that the Holy Ghost was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands. What was it Peter said? He said, the promise of the Holy Ghost which you now see and hear. Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. I'll tell you what, for time's sake, we're not going to be able to read all of these. Uh, But verses 1 through 6 tell us the story of Cornelius, very religious man. An angel appeared to him. The angel said to him, go find Simon Peter. He's going to tell you what you ought to do. Obviously, being religious is not enough. All right? Being religious is not enough. That's great. But it's not all that's necessary. The angel said to Cornelius, go find Peter, and he's going to tell you what you ought to do. And so Peter arrived and began to preach. And now let's see what happens. Let's pick up with verse 44. While Peter yet spake these words. While Peter spake these words. The Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. Fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. All the Jews that believed were amazed. As many as came with Peter. Those that came with Peter. Because that on the Gentiles. On the Gentiles also. also. was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. how did these Jews know the Gentiles received it? How did they know? Well, verse 46 tells us how they knew. Well, they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Now, what's the first verse, first word of verse 46? Four. Four. Because this is how they knew they'd received the Holy Ghost. Because they heard them speak with tongues. When they heard that, they knew these Gentiles received the same experience we received. They heard them speak with tongues. Those are the three blanks in this, all right? Now, we've got to move on. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. Let's let's read quickly here. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, finding certain disciples. All right, these are disciples. Uh Uh-huh. He said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost? Have you received the Holy Ghost? And they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Whether there was a Holy Ghost. Unto what then what you're, so were you said, baptized? How were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. They said by John. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that ye should believe on him which should, come after, which should come after him that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized they in were the name of the Lord Jesus. baptized again, but this time in Jesus' name. And when Paul had laid his hands when Paul on laid them, his hands on them, Holy Ghost came the on Holy them, Ghost came on they, them. And they spake with tongues. And they spake with tongues. Prophesied, and all the men were about 12. All right, now here's what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that we again see the Holy Ghost giving witness. We see the language being spoken. These men received the Holy Ghost, and it was evident that it happened because they spoke with tongues. Those are the three blanks at the bottom of that page. They spoke with tongues. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 18. Let me, before we read this verse, Uh, Let me just address this, and this is found in your study guide there. If you're looking at the top of this page, 1 Corinthians 14, 18, and Acts chapter 9, you find the story of the Apostle Paul's conversion. Ananias prayed for him to receive the Holy Ghost. 
And there's no record that Paul spoke in tongues when he received the Holy Ghost. And so people want to go to that and say, see, he didn't speak in tongues. He received the Holy Ghost. He didn't speak in tongues. But let's read 1 Corinthians 14 and 18. I think my God... I speak with tongues more than you all. So Paul plainly writes to the church at Corinth. He's thankful he speaks with tongues more than any of them. Obviously, Paul had experienced that same witness, that same sound that everyone else who is born of the Spirit experiences. Don't tell me Paul didn't speak in tongues. He said, I speak in tongues more than you all. More than the whole church. That's what he said. Paul was a tongue talker. Amen. All right, verse 22, same chapter. uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 22. Now, before we read the verse, again, looking at your study guide, Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 8, everyone that's born of the Spirit would have an accompanying sound. Paul said in Romans 8, 16, everyone that's a child of God would have a witness from the Spirit. Now, read 1 Corinthians 14, 22. Wherefore tongues, tongues are, for a sign. are for a sign. And so the blank here, tongues are a sign. He said, not for them that believe, but to them that believe not. Now, what's he mean by all that? Here's what he's saying is, he said, I'm telling you, when you get this experience, you know you got it. But what's going to happen is everybody else around you, when they hear it, they're going to believe it too. Praise God. Amen. You're going to speak with tongues. Tongues are for a sign. The word tongues is the blank there. Now, why did God choose speaking in tongues? If tongues is the sign, it's the evidence that you receive the Holy Ghost, why would God choose that sign? Well, again, God is sovereign. He can do what he wants to do. He doesn't owe us an explanation. But I do think there's a few little hints found in the scriptures. Let's look at James chapter 3, verses 4 through 8. James 3, verses 4 through 8. Behold also the ships which, they, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, and whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame, it is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. All right, so, so James says, if you're looking at the study guide, while man has the ability to tame beasts, to control large vessels, James said that no man can control or tame his own tongue. Can I get a witness? Nobody can control their own tongue. So I ask you, what better way for God to show the recipient and the world that he has taken control of a person's entire life than for him to control the one thing that person cannot control on his own. Do you understand? It's the one thing, Brother Hilton, that that we just cannot tame. But if God takes it and tames it for a little while, I think that's pretty good evidence that he's now in charge. Well, hallelujah. Praise God. 
Amen. Let's move on. The next page. This is something that we need to understand as we look at speaking in tongues because this is a common misconception and misunderstanding. Too many people out there confuse speaking in tongues when you receive the Holy Ghost with the gift of tongues. And there's a difference between the evidence of tongues and the gift of tongues. Okay? Let's talk about that for a few minutes. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would ha- not have you ignorant. Now concerning what? Concerning what? So these two blanks, spiritual gifts. He's not dealing with being born of the Spirit. He's not talking about the new birth. He's not talking about receiving the Holy Ghost. He's talking about something altogether different, spiritual gifts. All right? So so let's follow on down. Let's go down verses 7 through 11. For the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these work at that one and self same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. All right, look at your study guide. Here is a list of the nine gifts of the spirit. And, and in that list, he does mention diverse kinds of tongues. All right, there is a gift of tongues. But look at this list closely. In fact, Brother Josh, if you would put verse 9 back up there for me. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 9. He says, to another. What? What? Faith. All right? So so there's a list of these gifts. And and among these gifts, um, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge. Verse 9, he says, faith. He goes on, the gifts of healing, working miracles, prophecy, discerning spirits, interpretation of tongues. Look, he says here that faith is among the spiritual gifts. Now we know Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Right? Hebrews eleven six. Everybody understand that? Hebrews 11, 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Does that mean that everybody has the gift of faith? No. No. Now, he said, if you don't have faith, you can't please God. So everybody that's saved has to have some faith. Do you agree with that? If you're saved, you have to have some faith. So if you've got some faith, does that mean you have the gift of faith? No, of course not. He he clearly says as he lists these gifts, not everybody has all of these gifts. There's a difference between faith that saves you and the gift of faith. If you're going to be saved, you have to have saving faith. But only some people receive the gift of faith. Is everybody with me? There's a difference between the faith that saves 
and the faith that can come as a separate gift. And I don't have time to teach on the gift of faith and what all's involved there um, to go in depth. But basically it's this, it's the supernatural impartation of the ability to trust God. It's, it's not something that you just have. It's not something you build up. It's not, this is a gift. Some moment when you're facing some situation you couldn't deal with any other way and all of a sudden God just imparts to you the faith that you need. And you're just at peace. Everything's okay. God's going to take care of this. God's going to heal me or God's going to save this or whatever. God imparts to you the gift of faith. But that's not the same as the faith that's required to be saved. Now I'm telling you, if that's true of faith, it can also be true of tongues. There is a gift of tongues that God imparts to some. Not everybody has the gift of tongues, but everybody that's born of the Spirit will speak in tongues. There's a difference between the gift and the evidence. All right? And that's why I go through this here. Is, is, and the blank there, in case you didn't get it, the blank in that one is faith. I want you to understand there's a difference. A gift of faith, saving faith. There's, both of them's faith. But there's a difference. Same is true of tongues. There's a gift of tongues. And then there's the evidence of tongues. Both are tongues, but they're not the same thing. All right? So that's important for us to understand when we get down here, verses 29 and 30, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 29 and 30. Now, now please understand, look at your page here in your study guide. We started 1 Corinthians 12, 1, the subject spiritual gifts. We're just skipping down a few verses. Verses 7 through 11, still talking about spiritual gifts. Right? Now we're in verses 29 to 30. We're still talking about spiritual gifts. All right, let's read. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 29 to 30. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret. All right, now. Back up to verse 29, put, put 29 back up here. I just want to show you, these are what we call rhetorical questions. Uh, in other words, these questions, they're so obvious, you don't have to give an answer. Everybody knows the answer. All right, that's what a rhetorical question is. It's like, is the Pope Catholic? I don't have to answer that question for you. Right? Everybody knows. And that's what these are. These are questions where everybody knows the answer. Are all apostles? What's the answer? Is everybody an apostle? Let me try that again. Is everybody an apostle? No. Is everybody a prophet? Is everybody a teacher? Is everybody a worker of miracles? Next. Verse 30. Does everybody have the gift of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Well, you didn't holler an answer. Get it in the context. 
What's he talking about? What's the subject of 1 Corinthians 12? Spiritual gifts. Not the evidence of the Spirit. Have all the what? Gifts. Have all the what? Gifts of healing. Do all speak with tongues. Do all interpret. Do you see these three things are all listed in those nine gifts of the Spirit? Paul is not dealing with whether or not you're going to speak in tongues when you receive the Holy Ghost. He's dealing with whether or not everybody has the gift of tongues. Just like not everybody has the gift of faith, but you have to have faith to be saved. Not everybody has the gift of tongues, but you have to speak in tongues if you're born of the Spirit. There's a difference. And so the blank here at the bottom of this page, notice the mention of the word gifts. It's an obvious reference to the gift of tongues, not the evidence of spirit birth. Notice the mention of the word gifts in reference to healing. This same word applies to the other two references in the scripture, tongues and interpretation. These are gifts of the spirit after you've already been born of the spirit. Now let's go on. 1 Corinthians 14 verses 27 to 28. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that, of cor- that by course, and let one interpret. But it, if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Well, I'm t- You want to talk about some verses that are totally misunderstood, totally misconstrued, totally taken out of context. You let people who don't believe in speaking in tongues start talking to you, and they're going to take you to 1 Corinthians 14 every time. Because they're going to say right here it says let it be by two or three. You got more than two or three people speaking in tongues in your church. You're violating the scripture. And furthermore if somebody's not interpreting what's being said you shouldn't even be speaking at all. Now again what is the subject? The subject is not being born of the spirit. It's the gifts. We're dealing with the gifts of the Spirit here. Altogether different than the evidence of the Spirit. Okay? So, so the reference is to the gift, not the evidence of being born in the Spirit. And, and they say, well, if there's no interpreter, you got to keep signing. Let's keep reading that verse. Because there's not a period after let him keep silent. Let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. In other words, don't interrupt the church service. Just for you to get a blessing. If it's your blessing, get your blessing on. (laughs) Enjoy it. Have at it. Let God bless you. Talk in tongues all you want to talk in tongues. Just don't interrupt the whole church to do it. Just have your little time between you and God. But at the moment that you interrupt the service, speaking in tongues, then Paul said, there needs to be an interpreter. We need to know what's being said here. We need an explanation as to what's being discussed. Hallelujah. 
Otherwise, we've just wasted everybody's time. So Paul is not forbidding us to speak in tongues without an interpreter. I want to ask you a question. In the household of Cornelius, everybody there spoke in tongues. Where was the interpreter? I didn't find one. I don't read of one. So were they wrong for speaking in tongues? No, because that wasn't the gift of tongues. You don't have to have an interpreter with the evidence of tongues. Only the gift. In Acts chapter 19, Paul found those believers in Ephesus, laid his hands on them. They spoke in tongues. And it wasn't just two or three. All the men were about, anybody know? How many? Somebody said it. Twelve. There were twelve there, not just two or three. Paul said, let it be by two or at most by three. Okay, well tell Paul that. He's the one that prayed twelve of them through at one time and they all spoke in tongues. And he's the one setting the rules here. Did he violate his own rule? No. He's not dealing with when somebody receives the Holy Ghost. He's dealing with the gift of tongues. All right? So I'm, I'm a little, going a little deeper than the study, but, but here Paul says, let him speak to himself and to God. Those are the top two blanks at the top of that page. Speak to himself and to God. He doesn't say you can't do it. He's just saying don't interrupt everybody else. You just get your blessing on between you and God. All right? Now, what about 1 Corinthians 13.8? That's another one they really like to come and throw at us. 1 Corinthians 13 and 8. Read for us. Charity never fails. Charity never fails. But whether there be, whether prophecies, there be prophecies, they shall fail. They're going to fail. Whether, they, whether there, there be, be tongues, tongues they, shall they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. It shall vanish away. And so, and so this is, in fact, I, I was telling last week about getting to meet with that with the singer who recently was converted. And uh, he was telling me, he said, I, you know, I was raised as a preacher in another denomination. And he said, they taught us, from this very verse, they taught us that the time is that tongues have ceased. Yes, it happened in the Bible, but it doesn't happen anymore. And they used this very verse. That's not what he told me, but this is what I know. They use this verse to try to prove that. The time's coming when tongues shall cease. And so they say it ceased when the apostles died. In fact, they say the apostles needed it to spread the gospel, which is nonsense. It's nonsense. There was a universal language in the day of the apostles. It was the Greek language. Just like today, English is the universal language. Almost anywhere you go in the world, you can find somebody that speaks English. That's the way it was in the days of the apostles with the Greek language. And furthermore, if they're dealing with Hebrews, I don't care what nation they're out of. When Peter stood up, was he speaking 16 languages at one time? No. Did he have 16 translators? No. What did he do? He got up and preached to them in Hebrew because they all understood Hebrew. And wherever Paul went in Asia, all he had to do was speak in Greek. 
and they all, they didn't need tongues to preach the gospel. All right? Tongues, so, so what does he mean by this? The time's coming when tongues shall cease. Well, let's look at that verse again. Charity never fails. Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Let me ask you something. Are prophecies still being fulfilled today? So we haven't reached the time when prophecies have failed. What else did he say? He said, whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall. Has knowledge vanished? I don't think so. I think we're, well, I know in some ways we're not getting smarter, but I think we are gaining more knowledge every day. (laughs) But he said, I'm going to tell you when tongues shall cease. Tongues shall cease the same time prophecies quit being fulfilled. And the same time that people quit gaining knowledge, that's when tongues shall cease. Hallelujah. So the blanks here vanish away. Knowledge shall vanish away. Tongues will cease when prophecies fail and knowledge vanishes away. In fact, let's keep reading. He's going to tell us more about when this time will be. Verses 9 and 10. For we know in part. We know in part. And we prophesy in part. We prophesy in part. But when when that which is perfect is come. But when that which is perfect is come. Then that which is in part shall be done away. Shall be done away. Now, they say that which is perfect means the Bible. Now, in your study guide, there's two blanks here, and the blanks are that and perfect. Here we see all these are going to end when that which is perfect is done, uh, is come. Then that uh, which is in part shall be done away. So they say that means the Bible. But uh, but but get, if you've got a Bible there handy, I want you to, I don't think this is in my notes, and it probably should be, and you probably want to write this down, but uh, it, it does say it here. It says, you go down to verse 12. I want you to read verse 12 for me. Um, I don't know if I put that in the notes for you to read, but 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. Uh, look at what he says here. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. He tells us when that which is perfect is come, then he's going to explain what he means by that. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see now through, we a, glass see through darkly, a glass darkly. But then face but to face. Then, when that which is perfect has come, we're going to see what? Face to face. Not face to book. They say that which is perfect means once we've got the Bible, we don't need tongues, we don't need miracles, we don't need, because we got the Bible. No. Paul said that which is, when that which is perfect has come, At that time, we're going to see face to face. And then I'm going to know even as I am known. So what's he mean when that which is perfect has come? He's talking about the coming of that age when the Lord Jesus Christ calls us out of here. We're going to see him face to face. And until we see him face to face, there's still going to be prophecies. There's still going to be knowledge. There's still going to be tongues. Until we see him face to face. One more verse and we are done. And I've I've made it 
barely, but one more verse. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 39 is another one they like to use all the time. Or, or they, they, they like to use 1 Corinthians 14 all the time. They don't ever seem to find verse 39. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues. Yeah, they got all these verses in 1 Corinthians 14 they like to throw at us. Let it be by two or the most by three. If there's no interpreter, then don't do it. Uh, well, why don't you keep reading till you get to verse 39? Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy and what? Forbid not to speak with tongues. The last three blanks in your study guide are speaking with tongues. Paul closes this discussion of spiritual gifts with a command that we are not to forbid the practice of speaking in tongues. Well, praise God. I'm telling you, they are violating the scripture when they tell people you can't speak in tongues. We're not violating it because we don't have an interpreter. We're not violating it because we got more than two or three. Because those rules don't apply to what's going on here. They apply to the gift of tongues. But they are violating it when he says don't forbid the practice. Whether it be the gift or the evidence, they don't allow either one. But Paul said don't forbid it. Well, hallelujah. I'm so glad to be a tongue talker. I am so thankful that God has filled me with his spirit. And I'm here to tell you today, if you've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues, you've never been born of the spirit. And you need this experience. Amen. I'm telling you, this is the conclusion. If God has more for you than you've already received, why would you not want to have it? If you've never enjoyed this glorious experience, why not open your heart and receive it today? Hallelujah. Let God give you this glorious experience called the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And when you receive it, you're going to speak with other tongues. Let's stand and lift our hands to the Lord, everybody. Hallelujah. Come on, let's love him. I'm going to let you go. It's, I'm, I'm past time, but let's just love the Lord for a moment. Can we thank God for this experience and thank him for the truth? Thank him for the things he's written in his word that lead us and 